You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash firstpawmedia. Here's to the adventure-seeking dog mushers out there. The hundreds of you who stand on the runners dreaming and thinking about the Northern Lights. Of course, there is something else you can do if you've got something to say. Start a podcast with First Paw Media and harness your creative side. Maybe even earn enough money. Enough money to tell yourself, hey, I'm not just a dog musher. I'm a rover. I'm a wanderer. I'm a voyager. I'm an explorer. Visit firstpaw.media. Mush on over today. Radio Free Palmer 89.5 KVRF presents Mushing Radio, hosted by Robert Forto. Mushing Radio is about dog-powered sports, living in the Great White North, and mushing. Visit our website at mushingradio.com. Here is your host, Robert Forto. Hey guys, welcome to Mushing Radio. I'm your host, Robert Forto. On today's show, we're talking to Bridget Watkins of Salcha, Alaska, who owns and operates Kennel on a Hill Sled Dog Kennel with her husband. Today, we're going to talk about her recent Iditarod run, being an emergency room nurse, a mom, and growing up in a dog mushing household. By the way, did you get a chance to listen to last week's episode where we talked to another Iditarod finisher, Jed Stevenson from Idaho? He's also an emergency room nurse and a freaking cool dude. Check it out. Okay, let's jump into our conversation with Bridget Watkins. Well, hello, Bridget. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. I am looking forward to this episode. I know you're coming off of... I did a rod just a couple of months ago. Things are probably getting back to normalcy, but what is going on in, up in your neck of the woods? Well, you know, it's trying to thaw out around here, but we still have a bit of snow. So we're, we're ready for the sunshine and a little warmer weather. I know. We're here in Willow, and I'm looking out the window as we speak, and it's still dang near waist high. We sure did get a lot of snow this year in Alaska, didn't we? Yeah, you know, and actually we didn't get as much as we did last year, but it just seems to be hanging on quite a while. And right now we say, you know, the snow's rotten. And so that's kind of the worst time of year. You can't really get out and enjoy it. You can't step on it. You just sink through it. So you just sit here and look at it and wait for it to melt because you can't really do anything with it. I, I hear you there. So as we mentioned, Iditarod was a couple of months ago. I'm sure that uh, everything is, is is back to normal for you and your work. We're going to talk a little bit about your job as a nurse. I'm looking really forward to that. But more importantly, I would love to hear about just sort of your lifestyle, your dogs and all of that. So let's jump right into this, Bridget. You did your rookie Iditarod this past year and you finished in 11 days, 21 hours, 8 minutes and 40 eight seconds. First off, congratulations for completing it. Can you tell us a little bit about Iditarod? I know it's been a long time dream of yours. You were thinking about doing this over a decade ago and things got into the way. We'll talk a little bit about that as well, but tell us a little bit about the race. Yeah, so um, I would say that I was fortunate enough to make this my second rookie attempt because, you know, when you go through most of the Iditarod the first time and you don't complete it, you at least have that under your belt. So the second time you know what you're getting into, the first time you have absolutely no idea. So this this true rookie year that I completed the race, you know, I felt a little bit fortunate to know what was coming. There was only, you know, a few hundred miles that I didn't know since we went on the Southern route this time. And so I got to enjoy it in a different way than I did the year 
previous. This year, I got to see things, you know, in the daylight that I might have seen in the dark the year prior. And, you know, this year, I even got to see Denali. We mushed toward Denali the whole way the first day. And last year, I didn't see it at all because it was cloudy. So I got to see all these things that I hadn't seen the year before. And so I just really find myself fortunate to be able to see that. Well, the year before, you had a heck of a time out there, and I remember talking about it on our daily show, and obviously we were all rooting for you guys out there then, but can you do a quick summary about what happened then, and then we'll sort of compare and contrast a little bit. Yeah, you know, my my very first rookie go at it was, I, I don't want to say easy, but it really was kind of easy. I had a great run, and I had a great schedule that we had set up. My dogs were well prepared, you know, even coming off some pretty tragic incidences that happened that year leading up to the race we still got to the starting line and you know we made it all the way there we made it all the way to the coast and um everything was just quote unquote doable you know we were we were prepared we were, were able to face every challenge that came to us and um and it wasn't it wasn't hard i don't i hate to say that but it it really wasn't i felt really prepared and then we got to the very last run and there was about six of us, you know, running together and we got caught up in that terrible ground blizzard that occurred. And, you know, we weren't, but I don't know, 50 or 60 miles from the finish line. And that's, that's where my race ended. And so I, I was still a rookie and, um, a lot of self-reflection through the next 365 days. I often tell people, you know, after I got to Nome via an aircraft, I landed and it was late one night and we were on Front Street there, and at nighttime, Front Street is illuminated by lights that go all the way from one end to the other. And at the at the far end is, of course, the finish line, which I didn't make it to. And I don't know how I ended up on Front Street by myself that night in a car, but I sat there. Uh, tears filled my eyes because, you know, I hadn't gotten there. That was the goal. That had been the goal for so many years. And there it stood. You know, I was so close. I was, you know, 50, 60 miles from that, and I never got there. And I sat there, and I looked at that, and I snapped a picture of that day on my phone and that picture stayed on my phone for the next 365 days so every single time I picked up my pit my phone it was a reminder of what the goal was for the next year and it was to get to that finish line with a dog team and so that's exactly what I did for the next 365 days my goal was to finish the Iditarod that was my only goal is to get under that finish line with a dog team and so I was probably a little more I don't know cautious than I had to be or I needed to be but I just wanted to finish that was that was in my heart and my soul and um and we got there you know it took everything it it took everything out of me that I had and uh this year was a lot more challenging for different ways and I think that's what a thousand mile race will show you about yourself is that you're going to be challenged in different ways every single year and every year you're going to see what you're made of for some other reason. And so my first 500 miles of this race were, I want to say a magic carpet ride, you know, it was really, really good. And the last 500 miles for me was really, really hard, but we got there and we got to that finish line. And, you know, this year, the picture that is now on my phone is of me standing under that arch with my two lead dogs. So I'm happy to have replaced it. Man, I love that. You know, Bridget, a lot of people uh, have those inspirational quotes and, and other ways to motivate them. And I just did a talk just this last weekend 
at a podcast conference, and I talked about consistency and discipline is what gets us to our goals. It's not necessarily inspiration or motivation. And I think that really speaks to to that that journey you had. Was that on your lock screen, like on an iPhone or something, or did you have to scroll through those photos every time and it just sort of pop up? No, it was on my lock screen. And then the phone, the picture that was on my phone, as soon as I would unlock my phone is it was the last trail stake into Gnome that I never got to see. So it was a constant reminder, no matter what my phone was on, it was always a reminder that's where I was headed. Awesome. I I love that for sure. So let's take a step back if we can, Bridget. In your bio on your website, you had mentioned that you signed up for Iditarod way back in 2012, I believe it was. And things got in the way, as we said, and you ended up having uh, a child. Best thing in the world to get in the way, I guess, of Iditarod, but you had to take a step back. But during that time, of course, you had a, a chance to to raise the young ones and and uh, bring them into the lifestyle as well. Can you tell us a little bit about sort of the family? What the heck is going on in the Watkins household? What who's mushing? Who who's uh, who's doing the kids? All of that. Yeah, you know, I I in reflection, you always can see things a lot clearer. And, you know, if I would have gone on and completed that Iditarod and, and finished in 2012, you know, it wouldn't have, it would have been special, but it's special for so many more reasons now. You know, sometimes the hardest thing for us to do in life is to wait, even though we know where we're headed or where we're going. Sometimes we just don't want to take a pause to get there. And so that was truly the hardest thing is, um, is waiting on my dream, even though I knew where I wanted to get. And being from a mushing family, and, you know, I I grew up mushing from the time I was five, six years old and being at pretty much every single finish line of my dad and Allie for the past 20 years, I've seen so many Iditarod and Yukon Quest finishes. And, you know, I was ready for it to be my turn to be there, but God had other plans. That's for sure. And, uh, blessed us with our first son back in, uh, 2011. And so that halted my plans very quickly of running 2012. So, you know, um, being a mom and being a dog musher is almost impossible. I'd like to say there's not a whole lot of women mushers out there that are running thousand mile races. Uh, there's a few here and there, but it's, it's not easy because it's really hard to be a mother and to spend that much time out on the trail when your kids are super little, they just really need you. And so that was part of me, you know, waiting until the timing was right. And in 2014, we had a second son. And so, after we raised those youngins, it was time, you know, it was time I was, uh, I was ready to race and run again. But you know, when you take that long off, you have to requalify. So that was even more special because at this point we had started our own kennel and my dad and Allie had decided they were going to get out of mushing. And, um, I had been raising some of their pups for the previous years and I began raising my own team. And so I requalified again for the Iditarod. And this time it was different because it was with my own dogs that I had raised. And so that was just that much more special. And these kids got to see this whole progress from us starting a kennel to the struggles of having to move from one house to another because of zoning issues and, um, and then getting to a new house and try to find new trails and try to qualify and get the miles on them. And, you know, my qualifying years uh, that were right before I did her odd were pretty tough. I had some major issues. I got run over by a snow machine and still had to run a 300 mile race 
12 weeks later. And I did, you know, and they were part of that. And so them seeing their mom accomplish so much, despite whatever troubles has meant a lot to me. And, you know, they were my ultimate reason why to get to that finish line is throughout all these years, they've watched the struggle and all the dedication. And I knew that they deserved to see that finished as much as I wanted it. And so back in 2012, I wouldn't have had the same why and my why was very different. And so now I have these two kids that have gone through this whole process with us. They've been at the finish line. They saw their mom finish. They saw these dogs they raised finish. And you know, they love being outdoors. They're still pretty young. They're eight and 11 years old at this point. So it's kind of hard running long distance with kids. That's just the truth because they get cold and you want it to be fun for them. And so they love mushing in the springtime and their favorite is mushing in the fall and fall training because they like to be on the four wheelers and the side by sides. But when it's in the, you know, the dark and long winter nights, they're, they're not out there with me because it's not fun for them yet. And that's okay. You know, they're busy doing what kid things do. They're big into hockey and basketball. And now we're into baseball season. And so they're hundred percent boys and active um, in their own ways. So if they choose to go down the mushing path, that's great. But, but who knows? We'll see. We'll see where it leads. I love it. So they have not uh, caught the mushing bug yet. I'm sure that they see all the work going into it. And I believe you said that they're 11 and 14. So they know what it's like to be out there in the kennel picking up poop twice a day. They're probably uh, uh, rather lacing up those hockey skates, like you said, right? Yeah. uh, Yeah. They're eight and 11. Eight and 11. Okay. Sorry. No, that's okay. No, they definitely see they work. And, you know, I even jokingly last night was asking my 11 year old, I was like, don't you just want to go feed dogs for mom tonight? And he was like, no, you're, it's your responsibility. You're the one that wanted the dog. (laughs) (laughs) I I love that. I mean, he, yeah. So they're learning at a very young age, like you can have what you want, but it's going to cause sacrifice on so many levels. And so, and so they see that. And so I think there's no better way to teach kids than to model the behavior you want in them. There you go. So we alluded that, uh, that you're a nurse. You said that you took some time off from your, um, growing up as a mushing, uh, in a mushing kennel, you took some time off to go to college and all that. And now you work in the emergency room, I believe is what your bio says. And we just had Jed Stevenson on a few day, a few weeks ago, and he's also an emergency room nurse. And he said that more than anything, his job in that very hectic lifestyle really allows him to sit back, remain calm, and make critical decisions. I'm sure you could agree with that. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, all I do in the ER is I manage chaos. And so you never know what's coming up or what's going to happen. And, you know, it's my job to fix any problem that is in front of me. And that's what I do. And I've been doing it for 20 years now. And so um, that's exactly what dog mushing is. You never know what's around the next corner or the next run or what's going to happen or what the weather's going to be. And so my mind has been trained to work really well in those situations. And, you know, dog mushing, I would say is 90% mental, 10% physical. And so if you can get your mind in the right place, you're going to be a good musher. And that's the same thing you have to do to be an emergency room nurse. Couldn't have said it better myself. And like I said, that's exactly what uh, Jed had said as well. So I guess I have to ask, what is up with all of the nurses and doctors and, you know, those type of professionals that sign up for Iditarod? Is just that that drive for, for competition and success? Or what do you think really drives you guys to sign up for 
for races like this? You know, I think we're all adventurers at heart. We're all thrill seekers. We all love adrenaline. We all love the unknown. And that's where we thrive. And so there's not a whole lot of places um, that you can really experience that the older you get in life. You know, some people used to jump out of planes or whatever it may be. Those things change as you get older and uh, mushing's the one place that you can still enjoy all of those thrills that you used to get in other places in life. And so, you know, doctors and, you know, nurses or whatever, they really they really thrive in different environments. And I think that brings us to this area. So a follow-up to that is how do you separate that that sort of chaotic job, especially in the ER? I worked in the ER as a tech many years ago when I was in college. So I know, you know, sort of the goings-on. I was living in Portland at the time. So, you know, shootings and all sorts of stuff happening. I'm sure it's a little bit different where you're at, but how do you separate yourself from the job to the trail? Is that even possible? Or, or when you pull up that snow hook, is it all about mushing and you let every everything else sort of fall behind? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why I do it because it's the only place I am and it has been my whole life of where that is my complete place of, you know, peace. So, you know, I think it's really important that people protect their peace and find out where that is in life. And for me, that's on the back of a dog sled and everything in mushing, I would say is chaotic until you pull that hook. And you know that as soon as that hook's pulled, you're going to get that. You're going to get that moment. It's just going to be you. It's going to be the dogs. It's going to be the outdoors, nature, beauty, just serenity of where you want to be. And that's my place in life. So some people have it in one area and if they are lucky enough to find it, then they go and they search for that and they get there. And luckily I've had it and I've known where it was my whole life. And so I really enjoy just being on the back of that sled because it's that's just where I feel the most whole. You know, you had mentioned uh, skydiving, and I've done that several times in my younger years. And you had mentioned when you pull that hook, and it's a very similar uh, type of adrenaline that you feel, especially when you're hooking up and you're just waiting there for the countdown. And then, you know, you pull that hook and it's like 15 seconds of pure adrenaline before everything sort of calms down. It sure is a rush, isn't it? It is. And it's a lot like surfing and I enjoy surfing as well. And so it's just, you know, that you never know what's going to happen and you know, it's going to be great and it's going to be crazy and it could be all these things. And so you just have to go. And so as soon as you pull that hook or you stand up or you jump out or whatever it is, you've got that moment. And so a thousand mile race allows you to have that moment over and over and over and you get to have that time for such an extended period of time with your dogs, which is just amazing. Nothing else offers that. Excellent. Let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, you have been around dogs pretty much your whole life, mushing dogs, sled dogs. So you've seen a lot of dogs in your time, some really great ones, especially over at Alley and Allen's Kennel, I'm sure. And you said that you raised your own dogs over the years, and I'm sure you have a lot of special ones there. But every show I ask you guys to tell us a story about a favorite dog or a dog that has something unique about them, or maybe it's your your top leader on, on Iditarod. Can you share a story or two? I can. I can, I can share two for sure. And so one thing that was, you know, very special to me is uh, one of the first dogs that I got from my dad and Allie that I had my first litter with was a little gal named Raz. And so she's super small. Uh, she only weighs like 38 pounds when she's when she's real hefty, maybe 40. So she's not very big. She actually came out of Dallas CV and um, as a pup and uh, we've raised her since. And so she's had two litters for me that I've raised and she was part of my very first puppies that 
um, I was able to just completely develop. And so one of the greatest things is not only watching her go through uh, my first rookie run with me, and she was in lead the entire 900 and whatever miles, the first run for me. She also um, was in lead and finished in lead this year with me. And not only did she finish, but those puppies that she had that we raised ran right alongside her as lead dogs. And so that is a complete feeling when you are able to come full circle and bring those dogs all the way around. And so that was, that was super special for me for this Iditarod. And so she's, she's pretty great. And then I have uh, one of my favorite probably memories that I'll always cherish you know everything's in God's timing and everything's not always in ours like I said earlier and you know if I would have finished I did ride back in 2012 more than likely either my dad or Allie would have been out on the trail and so they wouldn't have been there at the finish line one of them um but with them being retired they were both under that finish line and they were both able to see me finish which was really really special but what made that even more special was a dog um named commando and so there was a dog that i've seen raised from birth you know been part of his entire upbringing he's run in actually mid-distance races with me i've trained him and he was on my dad's very last yukon quest uh, championship run back in 2018. And not only was he a champion on that, he was a golden harness winner. He is one of the most amazing dogs that I've ever been around. And something that makes him so special is, you know, he came, <clears throat> he came to me from them. We tried to retire him, let's see, last year. Uh, and he didn't want to retire. He, he kept actually running away and going to other dog yards and he was just being a turd. He just didn't want to, he didn't want couch life. And so my dad and Allie said, Hey, do you want to, do you want to see if he wants to run with you? And I was like, yeah, I'll see if he wants to, if he wants to, we'll put a harness on him. And so all year I was very, I don't know. Um, I wasn't confident in him. I was just like, you know, whatever happens, happens. I'll let you train all year. And if you decide you want to run Iditarod, I'll let you run. And, you know, as the year progressed, he just got stronger and stronger and stronger. And he was super confident and crazy to go. And, you know, he's pushing nine years old. And I thought, oh, my gosh, are we going to take this nine-year-old dog? And is he is he ready? He's had so many thousand miles under him. And, you know, he never gave me any reason or doubt at all. And so... He started the Iditarod with me and him and Raz finished the Iditarod with me. So he finished his, I think it was his 11th thousand mile race. And so not only did he finish it for me and help me come across that finish line, my dad was there to greet him and I. That is an awesome story. And it is all about those grizzled veterans. Not only are they there with us on the trail or in spirit on the trail with us, but man, they do so much teaching to the other dogs, don't they? Yeah, and to humans alike. <laughs> For sure. So, Bridget, every episode I ask you guys one big question. And since you've been involved with this since you were a little girl, I'm really interested to hear what you have to say. And the question is, where do you see mushing in the next five years? Of course, we're dealing with all sorts of stuff with climate change and the economy and all sorts of stuff. Where do you see the, the sport and or Iditarod in the next decade or so? Boy, that's a loaded question, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think if anyone knew, we would all, uh, we would have it figured out. But I don't think there's any of us that really truly know. You know, we all have hopes and desires of where this sport goes and where it goes for our state. But, you know, my personal view and opinion is 
dog mushing is the sport for Alaska. And I think it will always be the sport for Alaska and Alaskans. It will always be some form of transportation for those that choose for it to be. Now, as far as where racing goes, that's hard to say. You know, the bigger races are hard to put on or hard to keep going, both for the organization as well as the individual musher. It takes an incredible amount of effort, money, time, commitment, all of those things for both the organization and the individual musher. However, I was very excited to see how many people showed up for some of the smaller races and some of the mid-distance races. You know, I think it's much more feasible for a person and an individual to have 10 dogs or 12 dogs in their kennel and run a mid-distance or a short race being, you know, being 50 miles or 60 miles or 80 miles or even a 100-mile run. You know, those are much more doable. They're more time. You have more time to do that. You have less financial input to that race. And so races like Yukon Quest, and they put on an 80-mile race, and we had a fantastic turnout of just what we would normally call recreational mushers that showed up to run their dogs and had an amazing time. So I'm hopeful that we can continue to build those smaller races and really build the next generation of mushers and thousand mile racers that want to want to do that. I'm hopeful that we can look at a new way to race sled dogs, that it's not just a thousand mile race, but that's kind of the grand finale of them all, the Super Bowl of all of it. But I hope that we can build within those thousand mile races some of these shorter races that can bring these mushers up to then move them on to a thousand mile race should they choose. I know there's thousand mile race kennels out there that may not necessarily have a musher that's running, but they have the dogs and they have the training. And, you know, if we build these mushers up and, and train them the right way, we'll continue to have mushers. Bridget, thank you very much for that perspective. I'm always anxious to hear what everybody has to say. And of course, a lot of you guys say the same thing. You know, you, you guys are, are, are focused on on the big race, but I agree with you. I think that there is real promise in those shorter races. And and I remember following that uh, that really short uh, run that the Yukon Quest did this year, and it, it looked pretty dang exciting. So if it can get that type of musher and, you know, kennel on board, all the better for this sport. I 100% agree with you. Yeah, I'm I'm interested in in seeing what some of the races that are put forth that may not be thousand mile races, but that may be a little bit shorter. And you know, my kennel will be happy to participate in those for sure. So before we end, Bridget, where can folks find you? I know I reached out to you on Instagram. You're active there. You also have a pretty cool website. We'll definitely link link to those in your show notes. But where are you most active on social media? Yeah, pretty much either of those places. Uh, of uh, Instagram or Facebook are the most common places. And of course, kennelonahill.com is our website that you can check out if you want any more information. And is there anyone you want to thank, give a shout out to or whomever? Oh my goodness, of course, that's how we do this race and, and these this lifestyle. And so I could not do this without all of my family. First and foremost, my husband, who has, you know, believed in me from the beginning, even before I believed in myself, to all of our sponsors and our dog sponsors that continue to support our dogs. We have some local people here that continue to feed us like DW Grill and AK Drip keeps my body nice and hydrated to keep on going down the trail. We have wonderful dog food that we've been feeding this year with First Mate and Alaskans are some of the yummy treats that we give. I also have been able to keep 
myself healthy by using some supplements called a Turnipure. So there's just tons of people and you can see all my sponsors on my website, but we really could not do this without every one of the sponsors that we have. And so we can never thank them enough. For sure. They are the ones that keep the clock ticking, if, if I can say so myself. Well, Bridget, thank you very much for joining us today. And make sure, guys, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a like or a comment and we will forward any comments over to Bridget as we get them. On behalf of my guest today, Bridget Watkins, this is Robert for Mushing Radio. We will see you guys next time. Goodbye. From Dog Works Radio, this is Mushing Radio. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe on the episode cover art, and you'll see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you have heard, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe, too. Your host is Robert Forto. Our producers are Michelle Forto, Alex Stein, and Tony Ryder. Our executive producer is Robert Forto. Created for DogWorks Radio and First Paw Media.